You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield presents Fight in Progress here in the lovely Chris Ferrara podcast studio. We keep forgetting to give him a shout out <laughs> and he starts turning my lights on in the middle of the night and stuff and messing with me. But how are you, Tom? I'm doing good, Susan. Good. Hey, Joel. Hey, Susan. Did you miss me Friday? I always or miss Or whatever you. day that was. Every day. Every it's day. every day. You miss me every day. Yep. Sure. Even when I'm here, you miss me, don't you? Uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, life, you know, life just gets interesting around under the shield and all kind of things going on and... Um, yeah, I get to go to a cardiologist today. Isn't that fun? Finally. <laughs> I just as soon have waited until January because that meant I didn't have to have all these chemo treatments. Now I'm like. <laughs> but now it's in time just for the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joelle. You're always such a cheery. pumper up. It always makes me feel. You know, I'm down to the last five, really, and we got to do this We're now. We're so close. We were. And now it all gets, and y'all know how I'm about my calendar. The, the, now the whole calendar gets burned, and we got to start it all over again. Well, you know when this all started, you thought it was a never-ending process because right. it seems so far out. And now they're just, you know, Messing with sticking me. it to you to keep doing. it prolonged a little I bit I told longer. you, I am their entertainment at the cancer center. <laughs> and I'm getting tired of being their entertainment at the cancer center. I'm about ready just to go, you know what, I've had enough fun. I think I'll jump off this little rat wheel that we're on and be done with it yeah yeah but i'll let the cardiologist have a day of entertainment today and maybe i'll go back maybe i won't i don't know i haven't decided (laughs) it's always minute by minute with me you know at my age you get to do that (laughs) why are you grinning at me like that joel because we'll just take you we'll tell you that we're off to a training and not if i hide you won't (laughs) (laughs) hey i have friends that carry guns and badges We don't need no stinking badges. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but see, I have all their deep, dark secrets. (laughs) They'll hide me. (laughs) Anyway, everything good with you and your world, Joel? Yeah, everything's been good. Tom and I were in the lovely city of Laughlin last week. Yeah, I was uh, disappointed here. No haunted haunted stories. No (laughs) No, lake pulling by ghosts. No, that's Bisbee at Halloween. Oh, okay. That's coming up. That's coming up. Yeah, he just doesn't. I'm excited. Yeah, we may take you with us. No, listen. (laughs) Stay tuned for if I if I go, I'm staying in the van. With the, you know, where I can check the cameras for everything. <laughs> right, sure. To see Tom flying on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was an interesting time because we were there teaching in Bullhead City. Had a great group of, of law enforcement warriors and heroes. And, and then we got to go back to the hotel where they were having the Arizona Association of Chiefs of Police. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, there's a reason that God told me don't drink at conferences years ago. (laughs) Wait, they rolled out the red carpet as soon as I pulled up, right? 100%. They were like, Susan is here, and here are the balloons and ticker tape parade. But I just had this strong urge standing there with all of them around to scream, anybody need FMLA because I'm your girl? (laughs) (laughs) And probably would have gone to jail. (laughs) But I had a little fun, and it'll all come back to bite one particular chief 
soon. <laughs> and I've already warned the unions. When you hear cussing and screaming coming from his office, I take credit. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good time. We met some interesting people and new people that we didn't know, and some Tom knew that I didn't. So it was a good. It was a good time. Good. Yeah, and we head back over there in another week. Yeah. The Chiefs won't be there, but we go back to teach at Bullhead City again. So, anyway, we have a very interesting guest, and I apologize that I have not had a chance to read his book. I've got about five ahead of him if I ever get to him. Um, but his name is Jason Sautel. Did I say that right, Jason? You said it perfectly. There you go. Of course, I, with this southern accent. <laughs> and These southern accents make everything sound better, so however you say it, it's perfect. I like this man. I really do. Uh, his book is called The Rescuer. Uh, how long ago did you write this book? I uh, wrote it three years ago. Okay. And, and don't worry about reading it. The movie will come out, and you can just watch that. It'll be much quicker. There and, you uh, go. We'll life. I it, did read it. Is there a oh, part in that movie for me? Don't you need me in that movie? You know, the more I sit here listening to your conversation, <laughs> I would like to say yes, but I don't want you to steal the lead role. So, uh, oh, I, I, I don't need the lead role. I, I just need to be not at the very bottom either. <laughs> well, you know, in my neighborhood of Oakland, where I was a fireman, we didn't have too many any uh, southern women like you and stuff but i think we could find something for you, you know, there's a there's a therapist scene that might work you know that, that yes. we might be able to pitch in on yes absolutely everybody needs a southern therapist somewhere in their life I bless promise your you. heart bless your heart yeah I, I got a great book the other day i should have brought it in with me and the title of it is bless your heart you freaking moron or idiot or something like that. And the other one was called Butter My Butt and Call Me a Biscuit. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, you know, one of the things that I always like to teach the, the younger generation of firefighters and people is our job is to show up, care for people without judging. Mm -hmm. But then the other part, I want to write a book about when we close the doors of the fire truck and we're heading back to the firehouse. All the things we sell, like, what were they? Idiot, what an idiot. You know, things like that. So so I, I have a couple of books like that in me too of show up, respond, yep. treat without judging, yep. but then talk about the idiocy of the situation on our way back to the firehouse. That's every Southerner. I mean, that you know, we're nice to your face and the minute you walk away, you go, boy, was he stupid. Um, oh, yeah. I, I have a book in me and it's going to be what not to say to cancer patients. Oh, boy. I, you know, I was listening to your conversation before everything started up and the process there. I, I mean, I could only imagine what it must sound like in that center when you're there. And let's be truthful, man. You bring a lot of blessing to folks with that great sense of humor. And stuff, so well, on, my you know, when people come up, and go, oh, I was devastated to hear you have cancer. I go, will you be devastated? Because I got things to do. Right. right. <laughs> or, no, oh, or, oh, my mother died with that. Well, I'm really sorry yeah. to hear that what the heck <laughs> exactly no you know and that, that's the beauty is bringing in your personality and being able to shine a light in people's lives that's so huge you know that's you always to. tell people to just be you be the you that god created you to be and exactly. use it in a way that's just going to help other people and stuff and that's what you're doing so that's so solid <laughs> well that's why the phoenix police officers when i told them that are good friends they were like whoa we're feeling kind of bad for the cancer it doesn't know who it's invaded i said that's exactly the way this is 
is going to go down. <laughs> <laughs> I love your views, man. This, this is perfect. I can definitely tell you've been around uh, cops and uh, civil service people uh, for quite a long time. Well, personally, I'm ready to go home to heaven. I, I mean, I'm only sticking around because people like you and Tom and Joel and those need me around. And I'm like, really? Let's find somebody else to do this because I'm ready right. to go. <laughs> oh, no. Drug me. You know, that's that's why I say I don't have paranoia or anything. But I, I, people say, Jason, you must have a ton of friends. I mean, you have 700,000 followers on Facebook and you have this movie thing coming up and all this. How many friends do you have? I'm like, bro, I hardly have any. I have a dog, a wife, and a couple of kids. And I can only public for so long. It's not because yes. I'm scared. It's just because I can only handle so much of all the craziness out yeah. there. Yeah, what else do you need? I got a German Shepherd, honey. I'm happy. Oh, perfect. Well, you know, being from a, a fireman from Oakland, I, I've got pit bulls. You know, I always tell people, don't judge me. But <laughs> oh, no judgment here. I've loved many a pit bull. Just never owned one. But my Shepherd is crazy enough to be pit and everything everything else but um that's that's another podcast anyway right so tell us about you your background and what brought this book about oh well you know there's so much that brought it about but the the quick version is i was at a fire i ended up breaking my back and my hip there's no huge story there i was like oh my gosh tell us the good story i'm like <laughs> no i did something stupid and that ended up happening I went back to work, right? I, I, a lot of, not a lot of guys, but you know, 22 years in and stuff, you're like, okay, am I gonna get back? What do I wanna do? I still wanted to work. Mm -hmm. So I went back to work after about six to nine months of rehab and then went to another fire and I felt a big pop and I was like, ooh, that's not good. <laughs> so the story I tell people is we went back to the firehouse, <laughs> we were doing yard work and one of the pins popped out and there you go. I had to retire because yard work took me out. So that that's the big <laughs> story. But No, you should have been pumping iron or cooking or, uh, you oh. know. Carrying someone down a ladder, you know. Firefighters don't do door. yard work. Y'all right. sit in oh, recliners, you cook, you eat, and you pump iron and wash fire trucks. Yeah, well, you know, we, we do that and stuff, you know. <laughs> but remember this, the reason we work out and get so strong is because those recliners like to run away. So we need to get in them as quick as we can and hold them down with all our strength. It's super important. Well, I have to tell you, we heard uh, uh, there's a podcast out there that I was going to be a guest on, and Tom and I were listening to it, and it was two law enforcement officers. One's FBI whistleblower, and the other one was a cop in California. And I'd never heard the term before, but he referred to firefighters as slab savers. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, you know, that must be a Southern California guy. In yes. Oakland, yes. we actually do, we're old school. We still wear leather helmets, the black coats, all that kind of stuff, and 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 do the job. No, that's my joke. Too. Us guys from Oakland, we once went to the fireman games down in L.A., and we looked around, and they all looked like, you know, surfer beach guys. And we're, like all, we're looking around, we're like, dude, that's what firemen are supposed to look like, I think. You know? so, like from one of those blue-eyed, blonde-haired uh, fire departments where they wear badges and look really pretty, you know. But uh, Had no, you we, ever heard we, Slab Saver before? Because no, I'd never heard it before. No, but we hear a lot from the cops, you know. <laughs> out from there. But my joke always is, you know what cops and firefighters have in common, right? Uh-uh. Yeah, when they were kids, they all wanted to be firefighters. <laughs> well, do you know who Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman is? Sounds familiar. You might have to help me here. He wrote a book on killing and another book called On Combat. And okay, okay. he trains law enforcement and first responders and firing. And he loves to talk about how, what's the joke um, about firefighters? 
uh, they sleep till they're hungry and they eat till they're tired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I would I would love to invite him to Station Five over on Thirty Fourth and MLK in Oakland, man. We'd love to have him come up there and to get a taste of our uh, our work and stuff because we we do stay busy. But you know, the cool thing about it is. I love the camaraderie that we have back for them. I tell one little story, then I'll go back to answer your question because we're off on a little tangent. <laughs> That's here. okay. It's all but, good. But my one of my good friends with OPD, he is a training officer. And one day he brought his rookie, I mean, first day out of the academy to the firehouse. Well, they, I go out back to take the garbage out and I see the kids sitting in the car and, you know, his FTOs chilling in one of our recliners. I'm like, bro, it's okay. I don't care what Chris says. Come inside the fire. I was like, no, sir. He gave me a director. I'm like, well, I'm a lieutenant of fire. And I work for the city. I'm giving you a director. So he comes in. I'm like, all right, got him in the fire. While we're sitting around the table. I go, hey, man, you guys, uh, what do you guys still carry in the, uh, your Glock 40s, you know, and stuff? And he's like, yeah, so, oh, I got someone. Like, Let me see your firearm. Oh, I can't. I said, bro, I'm giving you a direct order again. Let me see your firearm. <laughs> oh, no. The kid takes it out. He doesn't, I mean, he doesn't even check it. He puts it on the table. So I pick it up and I walk off into the dorm room. Oh, no. And his train officer comes, he's like, did you just give Jason your gun? <laughs> <laughs> well, then we lit off a firecracker in the dorm room. And the guy started going, oh, you shot my leg. You shot my leg. The poor kid passed out i mean he was cold and stuff you know so so um that's the fun we have i know that's next level type of oh, thing yeah but cool. you missed your calling you should have been a cop that that yeah. that's that's 100 percent law enforcement yeah but like you said i i need a, a bed and a recliner for a kid. That's the only oh that's yeah, priceless yeah and you know just get back to it because i want to take you off too far you know when i couldn't work as a firefighter anymore that's when I looked and I basically said, God, what can I do next? How can I move forward? What kind of a career do you have for me? And I started speaking at churches and different mm -hmm. events and talking about PTSD. And it just kind of hit me. Hey, why don't I use all the experiences of my 22 years of working as a firefighter and a paramedic? I did time as a paramedic on Amazon tie those together and use them in a way that can help other people. Absolutely. And that's my heart behind writing the book. So I can use all those funny stories and good times and, and share them to first grab people's attention to say, Hey, I, I don't use the term of I've been there. I know what you're going through, but it can kind of show them I'm one of the guys sure. and then right. it breaks through. And I can also talk about anything, you know, struggles, faith, you know, marriage, Absolutely. divorce, all that kind of stuff. And that's what I like to do. Absolutely. Yeah. We, I, I'm going to recruit you before this podcast <laughs> over. You need to come over here and get certified to be one of our stress coaches. You'd fit right yeah. in. Uh, I might stress everyone else. Oh, no. <laughs> I, well, hey, I sit with a red man stick in my one office and a wooden red man stick in my office here in Mesa. <laughs> And they go, why do you have that? And I said, because I'm too old to put hands on. If you don't do what I tell you to do, I just beat you with it. <laughs> you sound exactly like my wife. You know, we go to the doctors one day because my wife, I know this sounds silly, but she goes to the doctor with me. Of course. Because she says I'm like a child because the doctor's like, how are you? I'm like, fine. Why are you here? I'm like, I don't know. My wife sent me. She said I had to make the appointment. <laughs> right. Well, one day they asked her to leave the room. They're like, hey, could Christy leave the room? I'm like, why? You guys are just going to ask if she hits me or abuses me. And I'm like, yeah, she does. She leaves marks and it hurts and they're well deserved. I'm we like, need to book her for the, pod, right. the next podcast. We have him, then we have her. Okay, that works. She, I look she, at the doctor, and I'm like, you really think I'm a threat? Come on, I'm threatened by her. And I'm like, dude, come on, bro. But yeah, so you could definitely love to have my wife because she keeps me in line mentally, Good. physically, and spiritually. Well, that's why you're still here walking, talking, and, and functioning. Yes, ma'am. I hear you. I hear you. So 
you got hurt at 22 years? That's when you first hurt your back and hip? Yeah, it was um, a little past the 22-year mark and stuff. I got hurt, and then it kind of went on for a few years after that, and then I stayed on to do training and everything. But after 22 years of uh, fighting fire, that's when I couldn't be, you know, online anymore, and I had to slide over into, like, training roles and all that kind of stuff, which... You know, it's cool if that's the route you wanted to go, mm -hmm. but I, I just didn't feel like it. Like once I couldn't fight fire anymore, mm -hmm. it just felt like it was time to hang it up and move in and train people in a different direction and guide them in a different direction. And sure. so that's that's when I ended up leaving the job. Sure, sure. So tell I, I'm real curious about the training. Tell us a little bit about what the training is, how long it is, who, who all are you teaching? Oh, cool. Well, first off, it's not official. When I say training, it's like in the fire department, I would go over and teach like CPR, first aid, fire tactics, things like that. But now what I do is I speak at churches mm -hmm. and I just talk to people about my faith because for the first 28 years of my life, I walked in pure darkness. I was raised in an abusive home. My mom left uh, my dad and I when I was only eight years old and I had to live under his system of abuse and stuff until I was 18 and I was finally able to move out of the house because I was able to become a fireman and stuff. So what I do is when I say train and teach, mm -hmm. I just give testimony and mm -hmm. talk and tell people about what my life was like and create those connections because don't get me wrong, I'm all about the here and now. I want you to be comfortable, feel safe and be okay. But truth be told, my my care is for your eternity because yes. after working at a firehouse where we would go out on multiple shooting, up shooting horrible stuff as police officers do all the time, I would witness countless people taking their final breaths mm -hmm. as their eternities were being locked in. And it just created something inside of me that said, you know what? I just want to bring people to the Lord because mm -hmm. I truly feel that he's the one who can fix all the major issues in our life. Absolutely. You know, I can give advice. I can help. I can run my mouth. But I truly feel he's the, he's the ultimate fixer, especially of our eternities. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And at what stage did that come to your realization you said you were you lived in darkness for so many years yeah you know when i was 28 years old i was literally about gosh maybe a minute out from taking my own life mm -hmm. just because the darkness that lived inside of me would eat up anything good that i chased mm -hmm. like i thought becoming a fireman and helping other people that'd make my life better mm -hmm. well there's moments of awesomeness in there don't get me wrong right. sure. but it would immediately go away I thought that by going on dates or doing what firefighters are supposed to do, buying a big truck, a nice house, and all <laughs> life would become better. Right. And what happened? You know, the, the black hole inside of me ate it up and stuff. So what I do is I fall back into that period of my life and openly talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it helps other people say, oh, I, I understand that. Like with my book, I get so many emails and messages daily from people that says, your story was my story, but because mm -hmm. I'm still work as an active firefighter, an active police officer, active whatever, I can't talk about it to people is what they always tell me. But you said it for me mm -hmm. and it helped me go find the help I need. And that's just one of the major reasons why yeah. I uh, wrote the book. Do you speak at fire departments also or everything you know, you're doing is through churches? I, yeah, I do all sorts of stuff. I do fire departments, which is fun because I like to say... When I walk into a, quote, secular place, you know, they know what they're getting. They're getting a guy who's faith-based. So 
you know, especially out here on the left coast and being in the Bay Area, my big joke is I came to Christ in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, <laughs> West Oakland is just below Berkeley, right across the bridge from San Francisco. And it's a, it's a very... It's not so, God's so country it. is what you're telling. <laughs> uh, so I understand I'm going to walk in environments where people are going to roll their eyes and go, here's this church guy. Here's this Christian guy. And that's why I started off going, yo, let, let's talk about my first 28 years and the wacky fireman who used to steal guns from probationary police officers, right? Things like that. <laughs> Great one. And then I will say, check this out. I know I'm not here to preach, teach, or this, but I'm going to come real. Because if someone is a Muslim, and that's who they are and that's their belief. I want to hear everything about them because that's what their their feelings are and stuff. And if they have something to present to me, I want to listen to them. So I'll tell people, I'm not here to preach to you, but a lot of the wisdom I'm giving you comes from these old dead guys from about 2000 years ago. <laughs> yep. And you're going to hear me fall back upon them and stuff, you know. And so so there they catch all oh, they laugh. Harry is a fun Christian. And I stand strong in my faith without wavering, but I do it in a way that I pray all people can hear. Well, I think so many people have this vision, and my mother, sadly, was one of these, God bless her, but that they think Christians don't have a sense of humor. Right. right. That, you know, we're just serious all the time, and we're judging and, and all that stuff. And to me, the, the better sense of humor you can have about it, uh, the more you can reach people, because they go, okay, so I don't have to give up all my bad habits and become this stuffy, staunch, yeah. stuffy, not fun per- Heck no, God created humor. Um, and again, I'm here f- a lot for his entertainment because he gets a lot of entertainment from Susan because I argue with him all the time and tell him I know how to do it better. And he's like, yeah, you go right ahead, Susan. You try that. And then call yeah, you me. Try that you would, oh, I, I speak about that all the time is like, oh, you can become anything you want to be as long as you work hard enough, try hard enough. And I'm like, yeah, I tried that. And it didn't work. Yeah, because I told God this is how it's going to be. And I just feel I'm going, all right, kid, let's let's let you go with that route and That's learn right. about it. But I'm in agreement with you. Humor is a gift Absolutely. given to us. And any gift given to us, we need to pluck it, not like that apple that we hear about. <laughs> we, we need to pluck it and say, all right, how can I use this to honor God? How yes. can I bring a smile to someone's face? How can I live the way that I'm supposed to live, which is Christ-like, which is bringing relief to people? And then I pray that hopefully out of using those gifts, people are going to get something out of it. And then they're going to hear some. Maybe I shut down the noise of this loud, fallen world just long enough that they can hear God. Sure. Maybe start a relationship with him. And if so, hey, job done. Let's move on. You know, so I agree with you. Use everything you were given to bless others. Absolutely. So now you said the first 28 years of your life, you lived in darkness. And even in your book, when you were talking about uh, those times, um, one thing that I found kind of funny is when you were talking about a lot of the deaths that you, you know, had on, you know, while you're working, uh, it seemed like you put a lot of internal pressure on yourself, like it was almost your fault. Mm-hmm. So how did you, I can understand how you got to live in those dark times. And then how did you transform? form into being a believer yeah what did no, you do to get your attention is what i'm always yeah, interested that's, that's in. a great great question i mean there's there's so many layers to it but i won't ramble about it what happened was the day i became a christian 
Well, people ask, Jason, the day you became a Christian, did it, wah, the light hit you dumb. Of course it did. Absolutely. Yeah. You heard James Earl Jones' voice come in and, you know, talk to you, and, and everything got better. I'm like, no, things still suck. My family was still broken. My dad still hates me. My mom's still an atheist. I'm still responding to shootings and rapes on a daily basis. Things are burning down. I'm like, well, what's so good about Christianity? And to answer your question, What's so great about my faith is it brought clarity that none of it was my fault, mm -hmm. that I, my calling was to be obedient and respond. Don't look for happiness in the outcomes. God's going to handle the outcomes. The outcome may not be what Jason wants, right. but what God wants of me is to obediently respond and use my God-given gifts and abilities to help those people. And if they die... Well, my happiness, I know this sounds hardcore, but my happiness over time should be found in my response, my obedience, responding. And that's why I tell the young guys and gals out there, hey, just respond and do all that you can do and find happiness in that while understanding God's plan is much bigger and that he will handle the outcomes. Mm -hmm. So if we were to try, if as police and firefighters were to try to find our happiness and outcomes, what a miserable job. <laughs> right. I mean, you know that as yeah. well as I do. It'd right. be like, boy, well, does it. So with, to answer that question, to wrap it up, what happened was he gave me clarity. He gave me direction. He gave me insight. I have the Holy Spirit. And when I started responding to the bad stuff now, it still hurt, mm -hmm. but I had a place to leave that. Mm -hmm. Every little rock that I picked up from every bad scene that attached mm -hmm. itself to me, I now had a place to leave it. Because as you know, every scene we respond to, we leave a piece of ourselves there, physically, mentally, all sides, we leave a piece of ourselves there. But the hard part is we also pick up a piece of every scene. And right. after a while, it's gonna weigh you down and it's going to take you down, even as a Christian. Sure. And that's why we have to have a place to truly leave it. <laughs> and when it comes back, we can drop it off again. That's the beauty of it. Because people sometimes will say, well, once you drop it off, you're good to go. Well, okay. Have you ever woken up and had a bad day? I have. <laughs> well, I now have a place to leave my bad days and start working forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. You know, I thought it was funny, though, as, as you were kind of looking and trying to figure out, you know, can God fit in my life and should he fit in my life? Um, you actually went to a church <laughs> to go to church and they turned you away for yeah, what you were, you know, for what you're wearing. And I thought, man, this is <laughs> what yeah. kind of church would do that? And for our audience, I did make sure his attire was appropriate <laughs> before we started this audio <laughs> podcast because I wasn't going to have any of that kind of stuff in, in oh, yeah. my office. <laughs> right. So, yes, ma'am. You wow. know, uh, I could, I can wow. smell a good Southern Baptist from a mile away. <laughs> hey, guys, hey, hey, hey. I've been Baptist, Presbyterian, and Episcopalian, and now I'm just a good Bible-based church. That's all yeah, I yeah, am. I fully agree with that. Yeah, no, that story was, you know, I had a bunch of, like, my, my whole passage has come back to haunt me, you know, and, and it was the torment I was going through. And I finally was in a hopeless situation yeah. and I wanted to go into a church, you know, finding that hope. And people will say, oh, my gosh, what a horrible story. I use the story of me being turned away from the church because I was dressed like a surfer because being born and raised in Southern California. That's what I did. I surfed. And, you know, shame on them because I put on a nice pair of board shorts and a clean shirt. Look at that. Who are these people? Right. right. <laughs> but when they turned me away, 
I don't use it as a way to like say shame on them. What I now do is I hold that story up to myself and say, am I doing anything to turn people away from the faith? Right. Because let's be yep. honest, I speak at churches. Mm -hmm. And if I walk into a good old school legalistic type of church and they're wearing suit and ties, I don't roll in wearing, you know, me and stuff because they're just going to, it's not right. You know, sure. I got to blend in, even though I don't care what they're wearing. Right. I look at it is they're kind of weak in that area of their faith. So I'm going to be strong because there's a lot of areas of my faith where I'm weak and those folks are strong. So sure. I just try to blend now. Sure and and do do what's right but yes it was very hard because when that church turned me away that following day is when when i was going to take my life you know so yeah. it was definitely a tough spot in my life that's for sure and you know we deal with a lot of people because of the things they've seen and done they either have never had a faith and a belief in god or they had it and lost it because how can God let all these bad things happen and stuff? And, you know, and I try to have these conversations with them. And, you know, a lot of times I have to tell them the same thing I told my kids. Don't confuse God in the church either. Because, again, we're all sinners. None of us are worthy at all. Right. And right. they they have to begin to hear that we're not in judgment. You know, that's one thing we do it under the shield. We tell them there is no judgment here. I, I got to answer for my own stuff. I ain't got time to be judging somebody else's. <laughs> right. That's for sure. And it, it's the there have been several books written at one that I'm, I'm known for referring, especially to police officers. Is called Cold Case Christianity. I don't know if you're I familiar just, with that one. <laughs> I was. I spent an hour with him yesterday. Did yep, you I really? Spent, <gasps> yeah, I spent an hour with him yesterday, and was talking because the tenth anniversary of his book just came out, and he's written it. They not written it, but they changed it for a newer generation. Added a few pictures, changed some things up in it in an amazing way. So, uh, yeah, I actually uh, spent some time with him for an hour just a couple days ago talking about that. Yeah. I'd love to get him on the podcast <laughs> also, but it's funny because there's a sergeant here I'm very close to who says. He's atheist. He studied the Koran. He studied religion. And it's funny because when we teach together and he lost a good friend in the line of duty and he talks about, but yeah, but I know I'll see him one day in Valhalla. And I look at the class and go, the rest of us call that heaven. And I said, he's a closet <laughs> Christian. He just doesn't right. know it yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah uh, the Lord's still working on him. Absolutely. He knows the way I look at it. And that's why, you know, I look at it is we have, I, I don't separate, segregate or change it out. But we have believers who've been given the Holy Spirit, so we see the truth. When I wasn't a Christian, I actually, in chapter two in my book, is a true story where I cursed a pastor out of my firehouse. Really? And I told him to take his book of lies out of there with him and his fairy tales. And here's the thing. That's a true story because the Holy Spirit hadn't come upon me and <laughs> let me understand that that's the truth. So now, whenever I talk to people or her non-Christians, I have to understand they're blind and deaf to my truths, literally blind and deaf to my truths. And if I go too heavy yep. trying to teach them in a way they can't hear, it's just going to create animosity. Yep. Then on the flip side, we have Christians. And as an elder to them, I have also been called to help them grow in Christ. <laughs> but do it properly and do it in a way they can also understand and hear. So I just try to, I, I, I don't sugarcoat stuff. Don't get me wrong. Right. It's like, it, it's like telling a kid, 
don't run in the street because it's going to get you killed. Well, I'll tell you that. There's a heaven and a hell, and we will talk about that. But, but, but I also, there's a loving light. I don't scream at a three-year-old not to run in the street if he's just enjoying his milk on the sidewalk. I teach him not to. Now, if they're running into the street, by all means, they're going to get the, the powerful voice out of me and stuff. So, so I don't sugarcoat stuff or keep it weak because I do have to answer to God at the end of the day on all things I do. Sure. But I also feel that if I overdo it and I push something on someone who is blind and deaf to mm -hmm. what's my truth, I can create more harm than good. Sure. And this sergeant is so funny because he says in the class, he says, you know, Susan and I have a difference in these beliefs, but she never judges me. She she laughs and says, bless your heart. And, and I actually officiated his wedding. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> and, and, and he said, you can have your Bible up there with you. And I thought, God is God is working here, my friend. You, you just haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, it, he works. You know, it's so, I don't like to be cliche, but in his mysterious ways, yeah. I say he works in mighty ways that we just can't see all the time, you know. Yep. And so it is mysterious. Sure, you know? sure. And do you find many firefighters that you've worked with that maybe didn't have that level of faith coming to you and that you're able to kind of help them and guide them? Oh my gosh, it's been so amazing. You know, I, being a, you know, I dropped out of high school in the 10th grade and I don't even know the difference between a verb or a noun and I wrote a book, right? So I, don't <laughs> I have a master's and I don't know those things. <laughs> right, so we're so there. I'm right. I'm a storyteller who has, you know, writers come alongside to help me arc and make sure the story stays the same, but it's readable as opposed to blog form. That being said, the amount of people that have read this and when I read their testimony, it truly, it, 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 it crushes me in a good way it, it just humbles me and saddens me and and makes me happy all in one because they they say because of you i'm now this because of you i'm now back together with my wife because of you i'm now back in church because of you i now believe in jesus and what i do is i give grace there and say that is so amazing while sitting back and saying it's not because of me that's that's all God. Right. Yep. My job was being obedient, telling the story, and look how it blessed them. You know, so the sure. obedience mm -hmm. is what helped them. But yes, I mean, there's countless stories. Like I say, with you know, my Facebook play page exploded over seven hundred thousand people. We that's get over awesome. two hundred emails and messages and comments a day, and they just blow my mind with mm -hmm. the way it affects people and stuff for for the good. And it's a blessing on so many levels. Yeah, my line to people on that is is that God put me in this position to do this because I have this little hole or something in my head and he shoves these things in these ideas because I'm not this smart and I said <laughs> and he knows I have no filter so I open my mouth and out they come I said now uh, I have to apologize because occasionally Satan might shove something in there also that comes out <laughs> but everything smart that's good that's helpful comes from God it's all yeah. he gets the credit I'm just kind of the tool and vessel that he uses because he knows I'll just open my mouth and say whatever it is he wants me to say. <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to be super judgmental here because I've learned that Southern women, it's in their DNA to not have filters when they talk. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I'll throw that out there. You know, and um, you are spot call, on. Yeah, yeah. Don't call me sexist, racist or anything like that. I'm just speaking the truth right there. Myself. I, but, you know, the that's the a compliment. I take that as a compliment. <laughs> you know, the cool thing that you just said there, though, that I love is... I do it all the time. I have to say, okay, is this me, quote, my flesh that wants to do this? Is this the devil prompting me to do this? 
or is this truly the Holy Spirit? And that's a little thing called discernment, you yes. know, that, that we have to sometimes figure out. And oftentimes we don't figure it out till after the fact. Then there's this whole thing called repentance and we go work on it. You know, so. <laughs> That's why we have knees, my that's friend. Right. That's why right. we have knees. <laughs> Do you look back, though, over your career and everything? You know, one of our phrases here at Under the Shield that because we don't believe in post-traumatic stress as a disorder. We say it's an injury. And all of our stress coaches have been on the couch at some point. And I said, you know, it's about finding purpose in your pain so you can heal. When there isn't really purpose in pain, it, it's, it's just pain. And I use the example in class of childbirth, uh, especially natural childbirth, which my first was a nine-pound natural and there was great pain, but there was purpose versus, say, a compound fracture of a leg, great pain, but no purpose. And when everybody, all the stress coaches can find purpose in what they've been through, then there's an opportunity to heal because you go, oh, that's why these things happened in my life. Mm -hmm. Do you find yeah. that in yours? Oh, totally. And the way that I explain it, because, you know, no matter what you say, if you say PTSD, then someone goes, oh, but it's an injury. Like, oh, my gosh. And if you say, Pete, well, it's not a disorder. So what I tell people is we're all talking about the same thing here. Mm -hmm. Let's kind of be honest for the most thing. We just don't know sometimes how to state it and stuff. So what I say is trauma causes pain and pain sucks. Mm -hmm. We've all gone through trauma. Trauma causes pain and pain sucks. But like you said, Everything that happens to us happens to us for a reason. And how are we going to fully heal if we don't use some of that to help other people? Now, I'm not going to put stress on someone. If someone just went maybe like through an officer involved shooting or or one of their buddies at the firehouse died or someone died of cancer or something like that. In the heat of the moment when you're trying right. to heal the 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 um, emergent pain, the, the crushing pain, now's not the time to tell them, okay, now go use this to help other people. Right. No, we need to come alongside you and help you. Yes. Right. But then over time as the healing happens and you see that they can use that trauma to help other people. Sure. Well, the first thing we should do is help other people. But number two, the beauty out of it is it starts healing us. So a lot of people will say, oh, well, the reason I'm counseling is because I had so much pain inside me and I wanted to get out by helping other people. I go, hold on, slow down a little. You should want to help people first. And then the healing comes along with that don't make it about you make it about them and when it gets to a point in your life that you can start making it about other people yep. as opposed about healing yourself that's the time to start using it. so you're spot on 100 the traumas that we've all gone through whether it's a stay-at-home mom goes through traumatic mm -hmm. events or an officer there in phoenix they go through traumatic events they're just different types of events but they all hurt and mm -hmm. and our response may be different if i kick you in the shin and you kick me in the shin well, I know for a fact our response would be the same because you'd punch me in my lip. Okay. So <laughs> so but but it's our response to it is yes. is what it is. And and you know, trauma trauma causes pain and pain sucks, you sure. know, and we we gotta gotta help people work through that. And we also have to be honest and work through it ourselves. And there's days where I'm not available to help people because I'm at a spot where I'm like, you know what, it, it has to be about my healing today. And so I spend some time with the Lord and my elders and my friends and I get myself healthy. Sure. You know, it's hard to heal yourself, you know, mm -hmm. but when you are hurting uh, and you're able to help somebody else, that mm -hmm. offers so much self-healing for you. It's, mm -hmm. it's amazing. Yeah, well, it, it does. It feels so good when you just naturally something inside you says, oh, this person's been through something. Right. I never come at someone, like the worst thing we could say is, 
oh, I know, know how, how you, you feel. feel. Right. I've been there before. I hate that. Yeah. Yep. Can't but say then it. you can come alongside of them with something in common, you know, and right. stuff. And say, like like with me, I was burnt on 40% of my body when I was 13 years old. Wow. Therefore, when I respond to a burn victim, I knew exactly how they're feeling. It felt like someone took their skin off with a cheese grater and wasps were stinging them in it. <laughs> sure. Well, I never said that to them, but I could give that true empathy and sympathy because I understood their pain. And I would always try to get them morphine as quick as I could and get them to the hospital as quick as they could because I had experienced that and right. it was excruciating. But I never came alongside someone I pulled out of a fire and say, oh, I know what you're going through. I've been here before. Yeah, that's just like so... there. You'll be fine. We'll get to you. Yeah, you'll, you'll be okay. The ambulance will be here in a few minutes. You know, that's, yeah, that's not going to happen. Well, but I think you also have to look at first responders are special in the, the place of you are trained to be problem solvers. Right. And it's right. because you have a caregiver in you. And so when you can also use your experiences in that regard with others in the in the field, because it is very specialized, it, it's hard when people are exposed to some of the worst of the worst in society that we expect you to fix and deal with and stuff. It, you know, it's hard for them to relate to sometimes a lot of the mental health people or a teacher or accountant, a lawyer, somebody like that. And so we find that with this, then this gives uh, our first responders a place when they even retire because they're still a caregiver. They're still a problem solver, but they've left the industry. And now, and yes, they all want to, you know, order plants at Home Depot and nobody <laughs> is mean to them and that kind of right. stuff. But that's good for about six months. And then I find them going, you know, Susan, maybe retirement wasn't yeah. the right answer. And then we give them an opportunity here where they can do it from the beach of Belize as long as they've got a phone and an Internet service or right. something that right. they can in turn share their experiences and give hope to the ones right. coming up that may not have someone who can give them that hope. You know, you give hope to a burn victim that your life hasn't been completely destroyed by that experience. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with that. It's, you know, I personally, I don't believe in retirement. I believe in definitely moving on to the next stage of your life and seeing what God has for you in that stage of your life. Like with me, I love to fish. I love to fish so much I could do it 365 days a year, you know? I mean, And God I says, no, 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 like, there's another fishing I want you to do. Right, exactly. That's it right there. That There's still a calling. I believe calling within all of us to continue on, keep moving forward. And to help, it's just a different level. Like, I'm not running into burning buildings anymore, but I'm running into burning circumstances in people's lives and, right. and using my gifts and abilities from those years. And so for me, do I ever see a retirement? No. But will I spend some time surfing? Yeah. Will I talk to the surfer next to me about Jesus? Oh, he's probably going to laugh at me, but I might, you know? And so <laughs> so, so there, there's, I just believe that it, it's called growth. It's becoming more mature and reaching back into your childishness and using that to help the people God puts in front of you as we, you know, continue on through this our time spent here as ambassadors on planet earth until we're finally called home sure i have to know what the pastor's response was to you though when you threw him out of the firehouse <laughs> telling him get out of here with his book of Dude, lies that was <laughs> it was the first well we're, we're going to use that in the movie also but it's going to be the first lesson of grace i was ever true i ever recognized 
without fully recognizing. Meaning when I started yelling at him and I got in his face because we just came back from a double fatality fire and the man showed up to check on me. All I wanted was a handful of Tylenol and some coffee because my head was pounding and I wanted to shower. So when I got in his face and I started yelling at him, my captain, who was a Christian, he goes, yo, 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 Jason. And he goes, hey, man, why don't you go take that shower that you need so bad? He's giving me a direct order. Don't get it wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Cappy knew who I was. Where I was then we don't talk behind each other's backs in the firehouse unless it's something that's not a big deal. And we just want to make fun of a guy. Well, I mean, we'll talk bad about your weight or something like that behind your back. But when it comes to true family issues, that's why it's not called a fire station. It's called a firehouse because we live there as a family. Mm-hmm. So we work through things. Cappy, my captain made sure to say it loud enough to the pastor says, Jason just isn't in a place where you and I are. He's who you want on the fire ground, but he's really struggling right now. And I heard him saying that. And then the pastor who I just cursed out was ready to, to punch flat out said, so I could hear it as I was walking away to all, It's okay, Cappy. It wasn't Jason's fault. It was my fault. I shouldn't have approached him like that. <laughs> I started welting up in tears, seriously. And I, as I was walking away to the shower, you know, and stuff. So, um, it was it was a great lesson in grace, and sure. God was using those guys in that situation to tell me how desperately I needed His Son. Because yeah. your expectation was completely different of what you thought He was going to do, wasn't it? Oh yeah, no. I mean, if you got the true story of what I said to that man, I'm just like, I'm tired of you running around here and talking about unicorns farting pixie dust, and the world's <laughs> going to be all better. You know, I'm like, bro, I'm over all this stuff. Get out of here, man, and check this out. Um, he's uh, still a friend of mine, and he is still a chaplain in the city of Oakland to this day too. Wow. So it's pretty cool. Good for him. Well, apparently God gave him a sense of humor to also be able to go. Yeah, okay, whatever. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, we're we're uh, we're we're trying. We might be getting. I can't say keep this quiet and stuff but we might be getting uh mark Wahlberg to play the uh, main character so he'll be the perfect guy to play that role there uh cursing out a pastor you i'll know? play his wife i'll play yeah, mark yeah, Wahlberg's they... wife i don't even have to say anything just let me stand there with him we're good well, you might have to talk to my wife about that one because that was her first uh, request too, so we'll, we'll work on that. maybe i can be his mother am i old enough to be his mother well no here's what i'm already thinking right now because my mind's always working when the movie which we'd have no idea because of all the hollywood strike and all this oh, yeah. that you know people say when's it coming out i'm like well we need 20 million pieces to come together which is dollars followed by everything else to make it happen which we're working on but when that happens i could see you as quote the set mom you know you can't yes. set you're the mom for the set you I'm know there. And, uh, and y'all don't even have to pay me out there absolutely yeah, well, well we have to add it to the budget because i feel we'd probably need a security guard that might have to pull you away every now and then too, so. <laughs> yeah i volunteer as tribute yeah there might be a truth in that somewhere but i you know i'd do my best anyway (laughs) oh no you'd be a great fit because like i said it's i I don't call things christian movies or things like that and i don't oh it's a it's a christian book i say dude my truck is no more christian than the person operating it okay so it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a a different they kind of like my book when people read it they're like that was an intense Christian book. And I'm like, well, it was a testimony, a story of testimony. Right. Of a Christian. I, yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. How did you deal for those years that you were not uh, really a believer? How did you deal with all of the things that you saw and you experienced? Were you a drinker? Were you, what was going on? Well, what I say is, praise God, uh, you know, whatever causes alcoholism or or drug abuse, I just wasn't given that gene. It wasn't there. 
and stuff, but I highly understand that people have very addictive personalities. Mm -hmm. So my true addiction was just shutting off the world and being alone. That was it. Just shutting it. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the addiction also was I would shut people out and shut the world down even when they're right next to me and around me. Mm -hmm. And that's how I tried to deal with it. You know, like I would, even after I got married and my wife, who she's the one who, who brought me to the Lord and stuff, um, she would sit there and say things to me at times of like, I may not be able to physically handle your job, mm -hmm. but as the person who became one with you, I'm able to handle what you're going through and can work through you with it. So you have to be open with me. Cause I feel a lot of tough guys and gals will be mm -hmm. like, Oh my, I'm, I need to protect my wife. My right. wife's like, I need to be freaking protected. Yep. You need to tell, we, we need to have this open relationship. Like guys will say, Oh, I have a men's group that holds me accountable. Well, I didn't become one with that men's group. I became <laughs> one with my wife. Right. There's benefits of the men's group, sure. but she's my number one. And so she showed me how to work through things by also telling me that it's okay to have real counseling and all the other stuff and to deal with my past. But prior to that, like I said, I, sh I would go surfing. I would, I would sit home when people would knock on my door, I'd pretend I wasn't there because it was just, I, I felt like no one understood. And I think that's a common theme. A lot of cops mm -hmm. and firefighters have yeah. is no one understands. And then we say only other firefighters or cops will understand, but then we don't pour into them because we truly don't think they'll understand our past and our backgrounds and our feelings a lot or of times we'll, too. Or we really think, understand the scenes. Yeah, or we think if I pour myself into you know my partner, then um, he's going to view me as weak. Right. Exactly. And 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 you know you hear that so much, and I'm like, bro, I was way weaker when I was alone. Mm -hmm. I've never gone to a fire and had it go out alone. It took a team of us mm -hmm. to collaborate. So therefore, if someone says it's weak, well, if I'm struggling, I need a team around me to, to help me out and stuff. And then they become part of my team to fight the other fires and the other traumas that come out. And this goes for cops and firefighters. Sure. You know, when there's a major scene, you need multiple guys and gals there to help out. And when we have a major scene going on inside of our heart, our head, our soul, we also need people around to help us through. And there's no weakness in that whatsoever. Right. And if anyone thinks there is, come have a talk with me because I'll show you the experiences I've gone through. And if you need a tough, test my toughness. Sure. Well, we'll go through it just as long as you don't know any of that jujitsu stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I have to do. We'll, we'll go at it. So. And, and that's a problem in the industry, um, at least in most places that I've taught police and fire, is admirably many many years ago they built this into the curriculum to teach y'all to keep personal and professional separate mm -hmm. and sadly it is actually perpetuating a lot of the divorces and the marital issues that we see because they sit on my couch all the time and the wife says you know he won't talk to me about his job and I go, okay, why don't you talk to her about the job? Because they told me not to. And then the wife's going, but he's going to talk to somebody. And then right. she starts becoming suspicious. Well, who are they talking to? They're going to talk to a dispatcher, a female firefighter, female police officer, somebody who gets it. And not intentionally, but then there's suddenly this bond. I was laughing, telling a firefighter yesterday on my couch, I said, you have no idea how many, early in my career, again, 31 years ago, how many young police and firefighters thought I was their soulmate? And I'm like, <laughs> bless right. your heart. Right. Yeah, come live with me for an hour and you will run for the hills. Yeah, um, no, it, <laughs> it makes so much sense. And, and, you know, from that standpoint, I fully understand that. 
And that's why, you know, I have safety nets built in because people will read the book, they'll hear my story and it they'll they'll be like, oh, you know, wow, he went through the hero like you, you're you're helping them through. So you become that firefighter's hero, you yes. know, and so someone reads my book. I'm now their hero. And I'm like, yo, I'm the biggest nobody on the face of the earth. OK, and if you want to <laughs> talk to my wife for a minute, you would probably wonder why she married me. OK, trust me. <laughs> but, but I'm in agreement there because we do need to I, I think let me break it down like this. We got to do it in a way that our spouses can hear. Like, am I bringing the smells? Am I going to say, hey, this is what the scene smelled, tasted like when I was doing CPR on this child mouth to mouth right. I pulled up? Wire? No. But when I say, hey, babe, this is how it made me feel when I had to tell that mm -hmm. mom that her, her child's dead, man. And hearing the screams, I'm here, I can still hear them. And it, it's making me, it, it really hurt me right there. She can hear that. Sure. And then, you know, when she hears that, I tell you what, she's even so good at it. Some of her greatest therapy sessions with me mm -hmm. is just pure silence. Mm -hmm. That's it. You know it. what I mean? Yep. And, That's and it. And that, that works out. Where vice versa, she she's a labor and delivery nurse. And a few months ago, she came home from work. And, you know, we like humor. It's different in her line of work. Oh, yeah. She goes, she's kind of somber. And I know she was saying, but she's like, honey, we, I lost a baby tonight. And so the first thing I said to her is, oh, we better get your butt back to work and find it before you get fired. Yes. <laughs> wrong thing. Way wrong thing to say. <laughs> My wife is so loaded with humor, but the look I got, like, ooh. Ooh, yeah. Okay, so, right, right, right. So, so you know, I knew what she was saying, but we sure. also, our response as a spouse, we also got, got to make sure that, that it's not filtered and being fake, mm -hmm. but that we're giving them what they also truly need as, as we're working through them and with them in the situation. Well, but the reality of the matter, it's a lifestyle. We have to train spouses. Mm -hmm. I had a, a spouse to law enforcement yesterday and she's had zero training. And the, the interesting part was when she married him, he was a banker mm. and then he became a law enforcement officer. It, he felt it was his calling and I think it was. But she had nothing to base what this lifestyle was going to be about. So, you know, when I was explaining to her about why he doesn't talk to her about the job, and mm -hmm. she said, it makes me feel like he thinks I'm stupid or not capable of mm -hmm. being his partner. And I was explaining that to her, and I said, you know, and now we have to explain it to him because they do have to communicate. But let the spouse decide how much they can take. You know, some of us right. have as sick a sense of humor to survive it as y'all do. I tell the story in class of my ex was DEA, and he came home when I was eight months pregnant. Crazy Phil woke me up. You don't wake up a pregnant woman in July in New Orleans. And he woke <laughs> me up to tell me he was worth $275,000 dead. I thought he meant his life insurance went up. And he said, no, it's the first contract. And I rolled over and looked at him as serious as I could. And I said, good, don't make me mad. I'll be a rich widow. And <laughs> he didn't find yeah, that real no, amusing. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely got to give space to pregnant ladies. I've learned that big time. You know, well, you'll love this because, you know, in West Oakland, as firefighters and paramedics, we're also pretty much the primary health care providers. And I have delivered so many children. But check this out. The one thing I learned on my first delivery was here I come in the hotshot new probationary, but I'm a paramedic and all these old guys i mean these guys got hired in the 60s and 70s you know as so if they're they're just barely first responders they're dragging her out of bed and they're bringing her into the kitchen and i'm like yo guys no stop moving her and they're like 
And then I realized like, son, you don't want to see a baby delivered on carpet. We're thinking about the carpet. The <laughs> so after that point, every time we got called to a house for a child delivery, we would carry the, and, and she's going to deliver on scene. We would carry her to the kitchen. So we deliver on linoleum and not the carpet, you know, so, you know, guys versus woman thinking, so not guys versus woman, but different thoughts of thinking sometimes, yes. you know, <laughs> but we have to train the families, even, right. even the kids, because just because you're not bringing it home in your words, you bring it home in your mood. Yeah. And then we yeah, think no. we've done something or the kids think they've done something. And, right. you know, it's all about age appropriate and, and that kind of stuff. But families need to be trained. And that's one right. of the things that Tom and I do. We teach an eight hour class um, on exactly that. And it's about educating them what their role can be. I, I could be his, my ex's biggest stressor or his biggest mm-hmm. stress reliever. Right. But it takes education in that because of the fact that this is just a very different lifestyle than what most people in the world go through. You know, my mother, I'll never forget her freaking out the first time she called me and she goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm dying. Marshall's outer carrier is bulletproof vest. And she's like, oh, my gosh, Susan, you couldn't marry a banker or a lawyer. <laughs> you you got to marry somebody that you've got to die the outer carrier. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think anything about it. Yeah, no, it, it's so important and to see it, you know, like. For us, we uh, adopted my niece and nephew under some circumstances we wish wouldn't have happened, but we needed to become their parents and raise them. (laughs) And so my nephew, even though he has a dad, I was his father figure and he still sees me as his dad and stuff. He went on to become a fireman and um, his first season with Cal Fire, he was at the Paradise Fire as the fourth new engine company on that. And what he witnessed and what he saw, I realized I had actually failed as a dad in that area of preparing him because I would tell him the stories I tell him you know you can go to the paper and read there's a article of me carrying a woman down a ladder and a couple rescues I had and you know a, a story about when the the city of Oakland gave me a medal of valor but I didn't show up to accept it <laughs> so things like that <laughs> a boy <laughs> oh yeah no no and, and when they gave it to me I cut it into 32 pieces and gave a little piece to every guy that was on the fire because I just ha- I was on overtime I was blessed to be getting some overtime today I just happened to be there it wasn't like it wasn't like I said, there's going to be a victim that needs rescuing tonight. And I saw and I, nah, bro, I was going to make extra 1500 bucks because we're going to Maui in two weeks. So camouflage there. And so, so, and I was doing my job. If I didn't go into the fire and pull someone out, I should be fired. If I do it, it's called doing your job. And you get a right. check every two weeks. But, but I would bring that to him. But then I realized I failed because I saw it in his eyes. I saw it in the way he talked that, you know, the, the amount of dead bodies, people are talking about Maui. They don't remember that just not too long paradise we had 77 people right up the road from me dot perish in a, in a large fire within a few hours and stuff and 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 seeing that you're right we need to prep people and that's why i'm a huge advocate that we need to start putting this into curriculum i know fire chiefs and police chiefs there everything needs to be put in the curriculum and i wish i could go in there and yank out 80 percent of the crap stuff <laughs> right. 80 yes. percent of the stuff that they don't need yes and be able to fill it with the true the yes. true stuff they need and don't get me wrong I believe some of the stuff we as the old guys and gals, the old guard, we need what we saw as sissy stuff mm-hmm. needs to be put in there. And mm-hmm. we need to take some of our garbage out of there too, some of the overly tough guy stuff out of there and put this curriculum in that will keep them mentally, physically, and spiritually safe, you know, through their careers and post-career and help their families. So I'm I'm a big advocate on that because I'm seeing it firsthand with our son who wants to go in the fire service. And we have two younger sons who want to go into the fire service now. I'm like, oh. 
geez, don't. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. the airlines are hiring right now. <laughs> you, know, you notice he's not encouraging them to go to oh, in law yeah. enforcement, yeah, but no. law enforcement is going, go be a firefighter. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm, yeah, no, I, uh, I will never, being a police officer is the hardest job in the world. It's a, being a, on, on the level of showing up to a scene with people's eyes. Sure. Why do people always look at us and go, oh, the good guys are here? Yep. Because it's not our job to make figure out which law you broke and enforce the laws that right. we all voted in. That's not our job as firefighters. <laughs> our job is to treat everyone who's injured, even sure. as hard as it is mentally sometimes to treat the bad guy. We yeah. have to give him right. the same level of care that we give the person that he hurt. You know, and and people recognize that, but we can't do that unless we have the guys and gals there enforcing the laws that we all voted into place. <laughs> you know, I'm very clear on this. Trust me, I'm so pro-police officer, so disgusted by how how we treat, but that's a, that's a whole nother podcast. It, being a firefighter, I think on that level, I'll be honest with you, it is an easier job mentally because <laughs> no one's all like, oh, the bad guys are here. Not yeah. the cops are bad guys, but that's the way the general public and a lot in our neighborhood would see police officers. Yeah, but you guys deal with the death differently than police officers do you know what i mean because you're there working on people trying to save their lives and you know a lot of times they're dying in your arms where yeah. with the police we're not we're seeing all that death and destruction but we're not hands-on most of the time you know? yeah but i think the difference is is you have a chance to try to right. make it better where yeah, the police that, that, officers yeah. don't right it, exactly. it, it, it's a helplessness that comes yeah. about no where purpose even, yeah where even when they die that you have tried and there may be an issue of you thinking you didn't try hard enough. Those are things we deal with, but at least there's an opportunity to yeah, try. That, that's yeah. the, that's the part that crushes us, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I see all sides of the job because I see when, if you think about it, even if there's two or three cops on scene, what are they doing? They're giving us a perimeter, even though we're not making it, you know, recognizable to family, they're keeping people away doing that. Yes. And and that's the, the hard part is they're having to deal with that of take on that role of giving mm -hmm. us the space we need to help the people, you know, and stuff. So I think all in all, when you're on those scenes where we're trying to save life as a firefighter, it hurts. But when you have a screaming mom and mm -hmm. the cop is trying to do his yes. best to keep her off us, it's fine. Like, like people sit there, I can't believe that that mom was beating that fireman's chest. I'm like, <laughs> her kid just died. Yeah. I'm a, I've never had a problem with that. Sure. You know, people like, I can't believe she acted like that. Well, Are you kidding? culturally, that's how her response her freaking exactly. kid just died. Yeah. Sure. She didn't assault me. She didn't. She me. That was her way of off gas. You know, I mean, if it starts getting hurting me, we'll all pull back a little, but we'll all squeeze her tight. You were the big right. hug. Sure. But those those are the things that the police officers have to deal with it too. So, like I said, even though the the traumatic injury is different, over time it still hurts, you yeah, know. And, exactly. and so we have to be cautious with it. Well, Jason, as we wrap things up here, too, uh, how do people reach you if they because I, I actually I'm going to go and reach out to my church because I'd love to get you here at uh, I'm at one of the mega churches here and and I'd love to see you come here and then we'll get you in studio <laughs> in, in and yeah. here to do another one because it's even more fun in studio, I promise. Uh, but uh, how do they reach out to you? How do they get you? Our producer will make sure all these numbers and stuff are in there. Oh, yeah, not a problem. You know, um, I have a website, which is just jasonsautel.com. Okay. People can go there and there's a contact me page. Um, in my book, in the back cover with the about the author and stuff, I put in my email address and I truly respond to every email in there um, so they can get a hold of me that way uh, through the book. And then there's also another website they put together, my publisher did for the book called 
rescuerbook.com. So okay. it's just rescuerbook.com. They can go there and, you know, go go to the internet and do a search and there's a good chance uh, I'll probably pop up somewhere, you know, just <laughs> just only believe half the stuff you hear about. <laughs> and maybe we'll make up some more. I don't know. You yeah. never know. Oh, yeah, exactly. And then, then if I feel it's going in the wrong direction, I'll just wow you with an amazing six alarm fire story. You know? <laughs> no, you'll call me and go, Susan, you want to come hang out with Mark Wahlberg? <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah. Well, and for the praying crowd, hey, pray that that happens too, because Absolutely. we do have interest in the uh, film coming out. Like I said, we just, there's a lot of stuff that needs to come together together but we know the lord's gonna make it happen we're gonna have a pretty awesome movie that all people are gonna love uh, once it comes around no doubt Looking about it yeah absolutely and we'll certainly promote it as it comes out especially since i'm going to be a headliner in there somewhere because <laughs> uh, y'all got to have that southern female in there but um oh you know we just can't thank you enough for coming on and i look forward to reading the book and and really i'm gonna i'm gonna work hard to get you here because i, I kind of feel like i know when god's pulling and pushing on me going, yeah, this needs to happen. And so we'll we'll start working on that on our end to get you here to Phoenix and uh, we'll take you to dinner and uh, hopefully it won't be in July, August, or September. Well, oh, but I'm, you I'm like okay with that. No, I'm, I'm okay right. with that. And one of my uh, one of my closest friends actually lives there. Um, Brendan McDonough lives up there in Prescott, Arizona, mm-hmm. and stuff. He was the sole survivor when the 19 Granite Mountain Hotshots died. He's oh, the yes. Yes. lone survivor of that. He's one of my good friends, so I actually get out there and uh, visit him. And I got some other friends there in Phoenix, plus you guys now. So it wouldn't be that hard to get me out there. That's for sure. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. That would be great. Well, as we wrap things up here at Under the Shield, we just want to we want to thank you, Jason, for what you've done and for the book and the differences that you're making in people's lives and bringing them to Christ, because that should be all of our jobs. Uh, that's top priority. And we just thank our audience, too, that's listening and want them to understand, too, about Under the Shield, what we do here. And that, you know, one of the things we get really frustrated by here is when uh, people have bad experiences for whatever reason because they believe that the counseling or whatever they're going to get is they hear is 100% confidential. And what people have to understand, confidentiality is a legal term with exceptions. Even when it says 100%, there are still obligations to report. They're mandated reporters. And one of the things we do at Under the Shield, we are stress coaches. We're educators, not therapists. We're not mandated reporters. So we go from a place of total anonymity, 100%. They can be Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck. They can give me their sheriff, their fire chief's name, whoever. It doesn't matter. And when you call our our toll-free number that's a stress coach, you're going to get a stress coach 24-7 if you dial 855-889-2348. If you hit extension 1, you are going to get a stress coach. Let it ring. It's rolling to the next available stress coach. We're not a referral service. Uh, We're going to help you and know that we don't even have your phone number because the number you dialed is what comes up on our phone because we understand the paranoia, the fear. It's it's real. It's perception. It's people's perception. That's what we have to deal with. If you want to reach me, you can hit extension too, but I'm so, as Joelle will tell you, technologically stupid. Uh, and I try. I, I have to deal with enough emails and stuff. Uh, but you can hit extension two, and you can leave me a voicemail, or you can call me or text me on my cell phone, three three four three two four three five seven zero. Text during the day. Call at night. Tom, you want to give yours? Sure. You can reach me at four eight zero eight six one six five seven four. And if you hit extension three, you'll get our stress coach in Alabama, David Cohen, who is a retired firefighter. He was fire marshal. His wife 
uh, is one of our stress coaches. She was a dispatcher and a police officer there in Alabama. Extension 5 is uh, Tom's extension there on that 855 number. But I really prefer you reach out to us on our cells if you want to talk to us directly. Mm -hmm. And that's 24-7, 365, and this is for families. And it doesn't have to be about just your first responder loved one. It may be stuff you're going through. Reach out to us. Joel is here as the adult son of a police officer who was, at least here in Arizona, was the first one that died with COVID in the line of duty in January of 21. He's working on his master's in counseling. He's certified as a stress coach with us, He's doing great, wonderful things because he gets it. He was the son of a police officer. He knows the things that you crazy cops do to your kids <laughs> and how y'all talk to them and all those fun things. Um, but reach out to us. If you don't want to talk to me, I can get you in touch with Tom or a firefighter. We have stress coaches who are firefighters, paramedics, dispatchers, you name it, we have it. And we'll be happy to put you in touch with them as well. And please understand, we are not going to ask you where you're from. We're not going to ask you who you work for. That's not what matters. We also deal with military and families as well. And there's not you're not going to get a bill for this, or you're not going to hear say, well, you need to call these people. Uh, we have uh, kind of unique ways of helping families and first responders in military with the things they've seen. Uh, we'll certainly send Jason my theory of the garbage can. I wrote a theory, the Simmons theory of the psychological garbage can 31 years ago. And that's why we do what we do. And we want to make sure that people reach out, even if you're suicidal. We don't overreact to the stuff. We understand it. Right. And we're going to help you. So we just appreciate all that our first responders, military, and the families do, the sacrifices that are made, because they're huge. People don't know. If they haven't lived it, they don't understand it. And so if you are interested in any of our trainings, also, you can reach out to us through our cells, uh, email, uh, we're on the web, under the shield.com, everything is there. But reach out to us. We know that first phone call is the hardest phone call for some of you to make. We don't take that lightly. That's why we will answer. You'll get a response from us. And again, if you want to reach Jason, if you didn't get all that information, we'll make sure it's out there, his website and everything. And again, thank you, Jason, for all you've done and are continuing to do because you're definitely doing God's work and he has a plan for you. And I think that movie is going to be uh, quite special yeah. and something he is definitely going to bless. And that hopefully will mean Mark Wahlberg and me out there hanging out together. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put that on my prayer list also. <laughs> no, hey, thank you so much for having me on. It, it was such a blessing to be here and hang out with you guys. Absolutely. Well, God bless all of you, your families, and this great nation that we live in. And come back and visit us next week.